the the attractiveness of Hong Kong with its tighter regulatory uh, stance on IPOs, I think, is is far from certain. Um, so we will see some relocated listings from the U.S. to Hong Kong, but I don't think it will be uh, it will be the gold rush that that some people expected, and it won't, I think. Um, make up for what we're losing on the other side of the equation. What, what does it mean for some of these indices where the, the weighting of China has been increased quite considerably now over the last couple of years by MSCI, FTSE Russell and others? Funds have had to invest in China because there are some big companies there that have a big weighting in these global indices. What do they do? Do they take a risk that maybe they underperform? Or are the indices going to have to reduce the weightings of China in them? Given given the way um, given the way kind of global economics is heading, if we continue to see further decoupling, I think that uh, reconfiguring of indices looks very very likely. Um, it's just uh, it's just hard to see if things continue on their current trajectory that uh, that Chinese firms will make up uh, will be included in these indices. Very difficult, I think. Okay, that's not great news, but thank you very much, Brock, for for telling us all about that. That's Brock Silvers, who's Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Just a reminder that several markets are closed today in Asia. South Korea, India, Sri Lanka all closed. Australia's open, though, and it's off a third of a percent right now as U.S. stock index futures slip this morning. Uh, The Nikkei 225 in Japan is down even more at 1.7%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about a third of a percent lower this morning. And in the commodities markets, Brent crude oil also slipping down about 0.9%, $69.98 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,700. And $79 an ounce. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at uh, 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverson and Mike Rouse coming up after the 8.30 news. The weather forecast, sunny periods and a few showers, hot with a maximum temperature of around 32 degrees. The outlook, very hot with sunny periods in the next few days. 28 degrees right now, 86% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. A political scientist says he expects more groups to go the same way as the Civil Human Rights Front, which announced yesterday it was disbanding. Police warned that protest organisers would still be liable for their past actions. Ivan Choi of the Chinese University says the group's closure marks a turning point. He says it's hard to envisage any large-scale rallies in the near future. Although they give some official reasons, but we know that it is a logical result of the continuous harsh comments from the official media and also the warnings given by officials like the management of the police force. And I think as a result, they receive a lot of pressure. It is not an isolated event because we see that, okay, for example, the professional teachers union, it has also chosen to dissolve. And so we may expect that more and more civil society organizations may choose the same role. The Taliban's lightning week-long offensive across Afghanistan has culminated in their seizure of the capital Kabul, 20 years after they last held power. They took Kabul after President Ashraf Ghani fled to Uzbekistan, saying the militants had won by force and were now responsible for protecting the honour, wealth and self-esteem of the Afghan people. The Taliban have urged calm, but Kabul is in chaos, with residents thronging the streets in their efforts to flee. Sohail Shaheen is a spokesman for the militants. 
We want to avoid bloodshed and to destruction of properties of the people and to not give chance to plunderers, looters who are waiting for such moments to loot or plunder the properties of the people or to harm, violate the honour of the people. Spain has registered a provisional national temperature record, 47.4 degrees Celsius amid the current heat wave. The reading was taken at a meteorological station near Cordoba on Saturday. It must still be verified. Parts of southern Europe have seen blistering temperatures in recent days as an area of high pressure moved up from Africa. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton and your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today we're talking about mass protests and marathons. The Civil Human Rights Front says it's disbanding, saying it can no longer operate in the face of what it describes as suppression from the authorities. Its statement said, quote, Unfortunately, for the past year or so, the government repeatedly used the pandemic as a pretext to reject the front and other organisations' applications to hold rallies. Our member groups were suppressed and civil society is facing unprecedented challenges, unquote. The front was founded in 2002 and was the organiser of some of the largest protests in the city, including the annual July the 1st demonstrations. So is this the end of mass protests here in Hong Kong, which have been such a feature of political life since 1989? If so, what will be the effect? Will it add stability, increase frustration? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can call us, and our number is 233 Officials are in talks with organisers to see if the standard chartered Hong Kong Marathon can go ahead this year. We'll be, hoping, we'll be talking to one hopeful runner later in the program uh just before we get to our main topic today a couple of emails on other issues and then we'll put in those other emails perhaps a little bit later uh umesh says uh on covid sinovac is not recognized for travel to the eu i know people stuck in this dilemma as they have the sinovac shots and need to wait a couple more months before they can get another vaccine which is approved to enter that's from uh, umesh bowen says financial secretary paul chan should be commended for acknowledging the possibility of anti-sanctions law resulting in hong kong business environment and status as an international financial hub being smeared as a preventative measure the best option is for Hong Kong is to enact anti-sanctions legislation on its own. Just as other countries' restrictive measures against China can be unlawful, so can China and Hong Kong's countermeasures. For China, avoiding unlawfulness first involves its being able to demonstrate that specific measures adopted by other countries towards it breach international law or obligations. For Hong Kong, our common law regime can, if it's given the chance during the drafting of local law, demonstrate that Hong Kong's countermeasures unequivocally comply with international national law. If the Annex 3 route is nonetheless chosen, there is still potentially a great deal of flexibility in which local legislation is enacted, provided the Standing Committee is convinced of the need. The sort of fine-tuning used for the National Anthem Law, etc., should be inappropriate, given that the anti-sanctions law has far greater impact. It's also important to avoid a law which is, in critical aspects, different from the type of common law legislation that international institutions are entitled to expect from an international financial hub like Hong Kong. Hong Kong already trails Singapore and Japan in the world just this project rule of law index more chipping away at its legal standing will only further lower its competitiveness that is from bowen 
Joining us for our discussion on uh, street protests uh, in Hong Kong, we have with us in our central studio, Alan Lung, co-convener of the Path of Democracy think tank. Uh, Emily Lau joins us on the line, former Democratic Party uh, head, and uh, also Professor Gordon Matthews, Professor of Anthropology at the Chinese University. Uh, Alan Lung, good morning to you. Morning. Um, you know, these protests, large-scale protests, sometimes very, very large-scale protests, have been a Quite a feature of, of Hong Kong life since, I guess, 1989. Um, is that the end of that, do you think? Do you think the, the, uh, that era is drawing to a close? Most probably, from, uh, from all signs. Uh, uh, this is not unexpected with the uh, implementation of the, the, the NSL. Uh, cons- considering what happened to, uh, to the teachers' union that you know, this this move against the uh, civil human rights front is, is not unexpected. Alan, good morning. Good morning. Um, there's something about this that puzzles me a bit. That there's all this talk about whether the front was legal, whether it was properly registered as a, as a society and so on. And obviously the facts about that will come out. But if it wasn't, who were the police giving a permit to? I don't, for I don't, the last two decades, I really don't know. But I, I, I read it from the news too that they're not a society, they're not a, 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 co- a company. So what are, what are, what are they? How, how do they? Right. And when yeah. the application came in, and the police wanted to discuss conditions with somebody, how many people, how many mar- marshals do you need, and what route? Who were they talking to? And, they're talking to people on on, on what kind of I, I really don't know why a, why they happen on an individual basis that, that can't be right you when the when the permit was made out who was it addressed to it civil, civil human rights front which happened not not it's not a registered organization but who's responsible for the registration the police the society <laughs> the registrar of societies is the commissioner of police yeah. I just find it very strange. Yeah, I find it very strange too. I thought they would at least be a society, but this is... I, I read it from the press too, the other, this the is o- the situation. Right. The other aspect I think we've got to watch out for here is uh, retrospectivity, because the people are talking, oh, national security law, some of this behaviour may be contrary to the national security law, but since the national security law was enacted... Um, n- no approvals have been given for any of the marches. So, so it, it, talking about marches that happened before the law was effective. I think the, uh, the reason for not giving permission was the uh, COVID-19. Yes. But, but uh, national security law, I think, is, is probably designed to, to against those organisations. But right. what, I, I, I didn't find it unexpected that the, the, that this is happening well i think in fairness we, we try to be fair there is a pandemic and lots of countries have banned sort of large scale uh act group activities well same as hong kong but looking forward i i have doubt that uh, large scale protests will be permitted in future based on you know, now they have right. not national security law. I mean, crowds are only just getting back into English football matches. So, and they were banned and the stadiums were empty. And, and during Euro, I think the stadiums were mostly empty. So it's not unusual 
for authorities to use the pandemic as a reason. But in future, that reason will go away. Right. <laughs> but there is a national security law. Right, from, from a current date and for, yeah. for future. But it, it can't render unlawful under that law things that happened before its enactment. Well, there, uh, there, there is a, a, an issue, uh, I guess, most probably from the, uh, from the international uh, media as, as, well as, as well as observers of Hong Kong, including the f- uh, foreign consuls. Uh, Europe and America and so on have large sticks in Hong Kong and they, they want to see Hong. the promise when national security law was enacted was it will only be, be, be applied to a small group of people and uh, now that is enacted then now is implemented I think even from China's uh, mainland of uh, Beijing's viewpoint they want it to be effective so uh, th- there is a difference in in the in the uh, in the uh, rule of law concept in mainland and Hong Kong. And Hong Kong rule of law means it has to be fair to the average people too. It has to be seen to be fair. Right. Uh, mainland is still ruled by law, so there is a, a difference, and that need to be recon- reconciled in Hong Kong. Hopefully, the Hong Kong way. You know. Uh, uh, they need to be softer on prosecution and not try to pursue every bits of, of uh, offences and, and, and give the hardline images to, first to Hong Kong and then internationally. I think to Hong Kong it's more important that they need to be seen to be fair in, in uh, prosecution. And, and I think the courts are holding, but you do not leave it up to the court. If... If prosecution keep pushing, 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 the uh, the you know the 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 legal system will fall apart. Uh, what will be the impact if there aren't any more large scale protests, which I say have seemed to have been such a feature of of Hong Kong? Uh, what difference will that make, do you think, to Hong Kong? It's a new reality. <laughs> uh, I think it's, it will be a new reality that Hong Kong will be facing that that. Uh, protest is not not permitted. Particular protest that is seen to be sort of uh, have effects on national security. And, and what effect will that have? Well, from from whose perspectives? From from uh, Beijing's perspective, this is a good thing. Focus on uh, economics. From protesters, uh, protesters organizers' perspective, that's a bad thing. From the average. I think the av- the average Hong Kong people have yet to decide. Okay, uh, Emily Lau. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks so much indeed for for, for joining us. Do you think that the uh, Hong Kong is a city of protests is uh, is ending? That though that's the end of that of that period in Hong Kong. I don't think so. I was uh, just listening to interview with the. Uh, DAB, uh, exco member and NPC delegate, Mr. Yip Kok Him, uh, on your Chinese channel. And he was quite adamant in saying that uh, Hong Kong people can continue to protest uh, so long as they don't break the law, of course, including the NSL. And I hope, I hope Mr. Yip is right. And I have said many times that uh, if we are allowed to come out to protest peacefully when the COVID situation subsides, 
Uh, and of course, if the police give the uh, permission, I think many people will turn out. And uh, and I also always rem- rem- reminding myself of what uh, Professor Johannes Chan of the Hong Kong U Law Faculty said: uh, If we don't like the law, we can criticize it, but we shouldn't break the law. So I think many Hong Kong people will also agree with that. And so I hope uh, that uh, one day, very soon, uh, when the pandemic uh, subsiding, then people would be allowed to come out and protest in a peaceful and orderly way. Uh, okay, Th- that you might want that to happen. What are the chances of that happening? Well, I should hope that it will happen. And let us see whether Mr. Yip is right or wrong. <laughs> Maybe... But- Maybe. I think you are insinuating that the authorities will use other non-pandemic excuses uh, to uh, block uh, applications for marches. Well, let us wait and see. Right. But, Emily, good morning. We're also going to wait and see who is going to apply to have a protest march or a march. It doesn't have to be a protest, does it? It could be a thank you very much march. (laughs) <laughs> it could be, we welcome this new change, Mark. It, yeah, it's well, not necessarily a protest. Or whatever it is. It, yeah. could be a, it could be a march in support of freedom of the press, for example. Well, Celebrating <laughs> freedom of the press. I don't know press. whether you will take part, Mike, in that march. I might have that one, bearing in mind <laughs> I was a, a member of the Hong Kong Journalists Association 40-odd years ago. Yeah. So I, I would be celebrating 40 years of, of free journalism. But I, I, I'm trying to get a serious point. Um, who's going to apply for permission to hold a march in the present well, I, mood, climate? Well, I think that uh, I hope not all groups will be uh, disbanding. Uh, that means then uh, civil society is dead. And I don't think the Hong Kong people will want to send out that message Maybe it's a new group, a younger group, or, or maybe even individuals. And uh, I don't think the law prohibits them from uh, making the application. So I'm not as uh, pessimistic as you guys. And, uh, and uh, if the administration says we can do it, so I hope we can do it. And then if we try to do it and then we prove that they're wrong, then we'll come out and say, hey, why do you lie to us? But someone's got to put their head above the parapet, don't they? Someone's got to put their signature on an application. Well, if it is a peaceful uh, march, I'm sure there are groups of people who are willing to do it. And of course, and uh, they, the, the, the aim of the march will not break the law. Right. And it's got to... Be, I think it has got to be a group, although technically the know. law may allow individuals. The police want know. to say, how, how are you going to marshal this? How are you going to well, you can't one guy can't run around doing all the marshalling maybe several individuals I don't know but I, I think it is interesting to note that uh, in the previous demonstrations uh, then chief executive Peach Tong came out to say after the big marches he said he would listen very carefully to the views of the people expressed during the march and then another chief executive CY Leung, actually came out to tell the press that uh, he was calling the uh, Civil and Human Rights Front my good friends at the front. (laughs) So I don't know what happened now. And of course, the front has held countless meetings with the police authorities uh, to uh, sort out marches. And uh, although, of course, I'm not party to any of those, 
But my, what I heard was the police has been very friendly and very helpful in the past. So anyway, times have changed, uh, but I hope that the freedom will not would not all evaporate in the thin air. Uh, all right, uh, Gordon Matthews. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. People talk about a, a, a culture of protest uh, uh, in Hong Kong. Certainly, if you just look at the, the numbers of people who have been involved in the protests, the scale of the protests in, in Hong Kong, it's been very striking you know, as, as a proportion of the of the population uh, and so on for for a number of years since two thousand and three, and possibly even since since nineteen eighty nine, uh, and re- very regular protests, very prominent sort of presence on the street of the people. Um, it, it, you know, is it fair to talk about a, a culture of protest? And if so, what do you think of its prospects? Hong Kong has indeed had a culture of protest, at least for the last 20 years. Uh, I would, 1989 was part of it, but I would date it from the early 2000s, the protests against uh, 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 the Tong and so on. Um, that may be giving way. It may not exist anymore. I'm hoping that... Myself, that Emily is right, I fear that Alan may be right, that Hong Kong as a city based on protests will be no more. Um, The reason why I will regret this happening is that I think the ability to peacefully protest is part of what a a civil society requires to be fully flourishing. And if that gives way, I I worry about what Hong Kong is becoming, but obviously a lot of people would agree with me, the 90,000 who have already left Hong Kong in the wake of the national security law seem to be thinking this more or less. So we will see. Now, one matter of identity, it's worth remembering that in the 1990s, Hong Kong identity was not based on protest, it was based on cattle pop. Now you've got Mirror coming in and people, you know, screaming over Anson Lee and so on. Well, who knows? Maybe that will be a new focus of identity. But if the government is hoping that the resentments that led to the protests over the last 20, uh, last 20 years will evaporate, they're wrong. Those resentments are going to remain even if they aren't actually played out in protest. Uh, Gordon, wasn't there, wasn't there a degree to which the 1st of July march every year became a sort of ritualistic people I I remember the back in in 2003 there was a specific cause but in subsequent years people were looking for a cause to attach to the march that was going to be happening of course it was ritualistic you're absolutely right Um, and the interesting question is how many people attending a protest like this did so Uh, simply to join the crowd, how many had genuine, deeply felt political grievances, obviously it's a percentage of both. But the point is that certainly if you've got a million people on the street, a significant proportion of those do have very significant political grievances, and you can't simply shut them up. You can't simply suppress them. That's the point I'm making here. And the last two very big ones were, of course, specifically on extradition and, and the way in which the consultation on it was squeezed into 20 days um, and apparently not listening even to conservative voices like the General Chamber of Commerce. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Uh, or, or, or can things change? Um, do you think that it will go away? Yeah, and people will just take up another another habit. As you say, the 90s were, were, were different. Maybe we'll just go back to a different era in, in Hong Kong and the, all this uh, political agitation will just fade away. 
Well, as reporters occasionally remind me, I've been wrong in what I've said about Hong Kong if I try to predict the future. I certainly could be wrong now, and I hope I'm wrong, because I would like to see Hong Kong continue as a vibrant civil society. The national security law has been a, a great shock to what Hong Kong is, and whether Hong Kong can continue or whether it will, frankly, fade away or whether it will become a, a vibrant mainland city in a mainland way, leaving that Western orbit and its values uh, behind entirely remains to be seen. I'm not going to predict it now, but it's fascinating being here and watching it, even though I myself feel a bit ahead of a heavy heart when I see what's been going on. Uh, Emily Lau, I mean, the chief executive speaks of this as a, as a new era. What, what do you think this era is going to be like? Well, of course, there's going to be a lot of repression, a lot of pressure, intimidation, and so on. And, uh, but I think uh, some Hong Kong people, maybe many Hong Kong people, are not going to be intimidated. But of course... I urge them to express themselves in a peaceful and non-violent way. People may go, and I hope they will always have the freedom to leave, and people will stay, and those who stay may do nothing, and those who stay may do something. This is Hong Kong. So, uh, as I've told many people who speak to me, I said the game is not over. We will continue the struggle, but in a peaceful and non-violent way. So, don't write Hong Kong off. Uh, Emily, if... If we, as we, if we take our lead from mainland media as to what's likely to be the next topic of the day, it seems to be that the Journalist Association is coming into the frame now. It's very sad. If that's true, it's very sad. But it, and a few, a few days ago, there were rumours saying the police are going to do uh, what the Education Bureau did about uh, not recognising the Professional Teachers' Union and not having anything to deal with them. And then, of course, the chair of the uh, Hong Kong Journalists Association asked uh, the government, and the government said, no, we've heard nothing about that. And so I hope it's true. But of course, in these very uh, very difficult, very intimidating times, uh, I don't think any, any bad news uh, would surprise anyone, but, but we have to carry on. And Mike, yeah. being a member of the JA, and if that should happen, and you are also a, a, a half a member of the establishment, I hope you will speak out for the journalists. Yes, I'll be so schizophrenic, they... won't I? Um, <laughs> but, but interestingly, or at least I find it interesting, the emphasis of the media seemed to be rather, uh, rather than scrapping the organisation or attacking it, which is what they were saying about the PTU, a cancer that had to be removed, the emphasis seems to be on regulation of, jour- of journalism and recognizing uh, journalists and getting, getting them accredited. Um, if that's handled correctly, properly, is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, it depends on what kind of regulation, I think. Uh, but of course, I think all issues can be discussed. And if they have something in mind, and they should call up the Journalist Association. And there are other uh, journalist organizations too, the photographers and so on. Right. They should call them up and sit down and discuss. That's how I think things should go forward. Yes. We should have engagement. 
dialogue and discussion instead of arrest, intimidation, or these fake news forcing uh, district councillors to resign and still say, oh, we don't know why they do it, and we haven't decided. Uh, I mean, this is not, it is conduct unbecoming of a government. Right. So I think we should have discussion, just like you. You invite me to come on to your show and have discussion, and I think the authorities uh, should invite people to come on, and we don't know how long the RTHK, as we know it, would continue to exist. Right. Uh, you can tell me what pressures... Well, you, in, you invited me on your show as well, didn't you? So that's, yeah, that's that right. seems only that's, fair. That's Hong Kong. You know, that is Hong Kong. I think there was and, some... Uh, but, but, but it's disappearing. People keep telling me, oh, I don't recognise this city anymore. Uh, it's so worrying. It's so frightening. Well, so Mary Virginia will say it's a, w w it'll, there'll be stability. All these anti-China forces won't, won't get a grip anymore. Do you believe that? I mean, Hong Kong well, do you? Uh, it's do not, not my job to... into stability. Hong Kong people like to be, to have a chance to express themselves, to have discussion, make compromises, then have a consensus, then we, we move forward. I think that's the formula. Not just cracking down, intimidating, arrest, prosecution, long jail sentence. I'm speaking outside the Stanley prison. When I finish talking to you, I will go inside to visit my colleague, Mr. Lamcha Ting, who's been there for over 100 days or how many days. No trial, no nothing. Is this Hong Kong that we used to know? OK, we're going to break for the news at nine and say goodbye for a moment to uh, Emily Lau, as she said, outside the prison uh, for a, a, a visit. Uh, Alan Lung and uh, Gordon Matthews will, will stay with us. We want to hear from you, of course, as well. Backchat at rthk.hk. Got some interesting emails. Contrasting views to share after the news, before the news, the weather. Sunny periods and a few showers forecast for today. It's going to be hot. Temperatures up to about 32 degrees. Uh, and the outlook very hot with sunny periods in the next few days. The latest readings, 28 Celsius, with a relative humidity now of 83%. the Taliban. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat on a Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Tewison. We're talking about uh, street protests uh, in Hong Kong. This is as the uh, Civil Human Rights Front uh, says uh, it's disbanding. Uh, joining us for comment, we have Professor Gordon Matthews, Professor of Anthropology at the Chinese University, and Alan Lung, co-convener of the think tank Path of Democracy. Emily Lau was also with us in the first part of the programme. Later, we're going to be talking about prospects for the standard chartered marathon. You can run on the streets, but not walk. Uh, our email is backchat at rthk.hk and our telephone number is 233-88266 or you can go to our Facebook page as well let's see what people are saying uh, RH says Dear Backchat, I loved your story quote, civil human rights front disband over, in inverted commas, suppression with no evidence to prove the, that the civil human rights front is actually winding down because of what it claims and not something else like to destroy incriminating evidence of receiving monies from some illicit organisation or the transfer of funds to overseas bank accounts, RTHK rendered its judgement. If law courts worked as efficiently as RTHK, justice in Hong Kong would be the swiftest in the world. 
Uh, Herman says the US spent $83 billion on Afghan forces, yet we are now watching the Afghan military collapse very quickly. Some say this is because of crumbling American financial and military support. It makes for an interesting parallel with the uh, Civil Human Rights Front, which once proudly boasted of its courage to fight for Hong Kong, but has since turned chicken now that funny money outlet Apple Daily can no longer funnel overseas funds and money from other questionable sources to them and the NSL has forced the departure of certain individuals with dubious backgrounds. So now that the spotlights are turned on the CHRF, instead of embracing transparency, whose virtues it once preached, the CHRF wants to run and hide like the PTU. What could they be covering up? I also have to worry about the intelligence of some of the members of the local legal community if they were incapable of reading the room on their own and it took an editorial to tell one of their trade unions to do so. Uh, Herman also says, I wonder if the top brass at the, uh, at the Civil Human Rights Front are asking themselves, if the US can send troops to Kabul to pull embassy staff out of Afghanistan, why aren't they sending troops here to pull us out of Hong Kong or taking advantage of the free shipping from Amazon to send us some large boxes to hide in, like the ones former Nissan head Cole Gosh used to escape Japan? Uh, and... Um, Alan says, Backchat, the CCP has decided to crush all opposition, making simply expressing an opinion illegal. All the moderate politicians, news organisations, unions have been silenced by illegal harassment, if not locked up. By destroying organised opposition, the most radical have fewer constraints. Perhaps there really will be violent terrorism in Hong Kong after a decade in which the government has claimed that waving a flag, walking in the street or singing a song is terrorism. It might find out what it really is. In the words of JFK, those who make peaceful revolution impossible will make violent revolution inevitable. Maybe not this year, maybe not this week or year, but it will come. That comes from Alan. Uh, Anthony says, one thing is for sure, Alan Lung remains intact. Alan Lung, that's L-E-O-N-G, uh, not our guest, uh, remains intact, while his henchmen, whom he encouraged to commit treason, are all being prosecuted. Why is Alan so safe? That's a testament to a Chinese saying, only the stupid take action while the intelligent just play lip service. Uh, that's from Anthony. Hmm. Uh, who also says, so you, can you guarantee that after COVID is gone, there will be zero tolerance to protest in Hong Kong anymore? Uh, and MT says, remarkable, Emily Lau being appreciative of peaceful protests, but she never stood up in 2019 to condemn the violence at the time it happened. It was this violence that led Hong Kong to the current dire state of affairs. That comes uh, from uh, MT. Uh, Alan Lung, it's, could you say it's really very simple that the, the, the street protests just simply went too far in 2019 and that's the end of that? Well, it, it, it's true to a, to a certain extent the force, the hand was forced on, the, on, on Beijing to impose some sort of national security law, bearing in mind that in 2003 the uh, Article 23 didn't happen. So to some extent, it is true that it, it went too far. Hong Kong is a diehard liberal, and I think it will remain diehard liberal. I think what's anchoring Hong Kong together is really two, two things. One is I think Beijing still wants Hong Kong to be uh, one country, two system. They want to see Hong Kong sort of uh, worked and thrive under one country, two system. 
So two, one of the main main things about this two system is the rule of law. I think uh, it's still recognized that Hong Kong has still has a very advanced uh, legal, uh, legal system, and there's there's Hong Kong should preserve it not just for for Hong Kong sake for but for the sake of uh, the whole of China. The other thing I think that that is anchoring Hong Kong together is really uh, the uh, the world financial center status. I think without uh, freedom of press, freedom of uh, information, free internet, and all that sort of thing, there will be no 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 financial center. There will be no uh, place where mainland money, Hong Kong money, uh, international money can speculate on the stock market and, and make tons and tons of money out of it. But it's not just making money. It's just a capital, such a perfect capital-raising place for the whole of China. But, uh, Alan, um, I used to tour the world uh, boasting about Hong Kong as an international financial centre um, on, on the government dime. Uh, as the Americans say, um, and two of the four features uh, you've just touched on. One is the free flow of information. If we don't have the complete free flow of information, then it would be game over. It removes one of the planks. The other is an independent judiciary, right, free from any political control, which uh, also a legal system that protects private property. That would be the second major one. If those two go, then there's nothing left. There's really no sign that that uh, uh, the, the courts are not holding up. Right. But, but court is not all of the legal system. No, it's the Department of Justice and, right. and who they prosecute and how they prosecute. Yeah, and how, how hard they pursue a case, yes. whether they keep appealing, 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 and... And uh, and prosecute people on on tiny tiny things. I think it was interesting when the ICAC agreed to bind over the the pop singer who sang at a at a rally election rally that was not pursued. I, I have some sympathy for the commissioner in the sense that by law, if there's a complaint lodged with him, he has to investigate it. So there was a complaint. Although of course, investigation is different to prosecution. Yes, but. It, once he's passed the file to the Department of Justice, there is a, there is an assistant to the Attorney General based with the ICAC. But, but is, the, I, I, ICAC is known to be very, very sort of sticky or or or, or tough on uh, on elections. Yes. Uh, even uh, if you un, even if you under declare five dollars, they run off after you. People who run election will tell you that. So they are they're sort of forced to do that, but the, the prosecution, which is ICAC, decided to withdraw it, which I think is a good sign. It's, it's more not liberal. It's, it's, it's more reasonable, and, and Hong Kong rule of law has to be seen to be reasonable, to be fair. And at least they're not you know, putting him, him in, in, into jail for, for singing a song. You know. Okay, here's an email from uh, Martin who says, why don't you and your guests discuss where the funding for the civil human rights comes from and why it does not comply with the police's request to disclose its funding sources? Could it be that the US, NED and other political NGOs stopped 
providing funding and CIA outlet Apple Daily can't incite the masses anymore. The Civil Human Rights Front never condemned any violence during the protests, nor did any of their member organisations. Instead, it encouraged people to participate in riots that harmed lots of people. Not civil, not human rights. They really should have been called Collective Human Riots Front. That comes from Martin. What about the question of the funding for the, for the front? Any comment on that, Alan Long? On, on, on their funding? Yeah. We simply don't know. Uh, if they're not a society, if they're not a company, where do they put their money? And if, they, if we don't know where they put their money, then how can we... Well, there's no account. Yeah, no account. So, so where is this so-called $1.6 million sort of uh, resting? Well, on, you, on whose account? You've got to do the whole, the whole package, haven't you? You've got to have all the sources of income. And all the sources and all the expenditure, and then that's why you produce accounts. If you're a company, you have to produce accounts. Society, if you're, I think. If you're a society, society you have, have to. to but they, they're not a registered society. I, I come back to this: How can you give permission to for a, a, a march to something that doesn't exist? Well, I, I wasn't the police who approved it, <laughs> so don't ask me. Yeah, and, and the relationship... I, I mean, was, does, was, it, is it, does it make sense to concentrate on this organisation? Uh, is this organisation responsible, or is this organisation simply organising the, the people who, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people who wanted it to, this to happen? They are the organisers, definitely, and and I think one of your. The I mean, if you didn't have them, would you? Would these people still march? Would you still have this these protests? If you didn't have them, you have other organisations. But it's just the nature, the way this was organised. That is, you know, we find it dubious now. All right. Uh Emrys says, at a time when we need conciliation, we experience vindictiveness. It's sad that our own leaders, born and bred in Hong Kong, are bent on punishing their own people for their own insecurities. The undefined, ubiquitous security law, backed up by a police force that seems to think that enforcing it is its primary purpose, is breeding mistrust and fear. What next? That comes from uh, Emrys. And TC says, Hong Kong became the city of protest since 1989, mainly because the people living there had next to no say in the policies that will affect them. I think many of the issues people protested about in the 20-plus years could have been settled with a popularly elected government. The reason is that an elected government needs to answer to the voters. That comes uh, from uh, TC. Gordon Matthews, do you think the, the protests, have they been a safety valve or have they actually been a, a source of, uh, of instability and, and stoked anti-China feeling in Hong Kong? Well, they've been both. Uh, certainly they've been a safety valve, but the problem with these protests is they have not had a defined leadership out of principle very often. And that means that a small percentage, a very small percentage of people can indeed uh, enact violence towards property and so on, and, and towards people in a couple of rare cases, and that tarnishes the entire issue here, really. Um, peaceful protests of the type that took place in 2003-2004, I think, were clearly a, a very positive matter for society. What happened by 2019, though, is the degree of frustration of the protesters at not being listened to did spill over into violence against property particularly, and that had, as, as our other guests have said, of negative consequences, I think. Now, whether that was the reason for the NSL or whether it was one of a number of complex reasons, I suspect the latter is the case. Nonetheless, 
both of these are the case. These protests have been essential because it's exactly true that Hong Kong has not been able to choose its government. If you can't choose your government, then the only way you can protest is to be, the only way you can express yourself is to be out in the street protesting. That appears now to have been halted. The failure, and it was a failure, of a lot of moderate leaders to outright condemn the violence. To what extent is that a factor in all this? Well, I think it is a factor, and in retrospect, certainly, I think at the time, too, many of us felt that was a big mistake. It should have been condemned. On the other end, it has to be remembered that when you did have two million people in the street and Carrie Lam ignoring them, you can understand why the anger sprang up. Uh, I did hear students say things like, the only way to get the government to listen is to cripple the MTR. Now, that was a bad decision, but nonetheless, it's at least understandable why some people would have thought that, and that's why the protests moved in the direction that they did. And, and, and what now? How do you think, will people find a new way to express themselves? Or uh, it seems that the uh, elections won't, provide that kind of uh, outlet? Well, my personal hope is that many of the great things I have loved about Hong Kong, for example, a large NGO, uh, a number of NGOs really helping people in a variety of ways, a flourishing art scene, uh, freedom of expression, a lot of that can continue even if there is not a political opposition and a culture of protest. My, uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. We all are, you know, holding our breaths to see how this is going to proceed in the coming months and years. But that's my hope that Hong Kong, as I know it, can continue finding these new avenues for the great energy of people, even if political protest particularly doesn't seem to be in the cards anymore. OK, well, Gordon Matthews, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Professor Gordon Matthews, Professor of Anthropology at the Chinese University, and Alan Lung, thank you very much indeed, co-convener of the Path of Democracy Think Tank, and Emily Lau is also joining us in the first part of the programme this morning. Our email, once again, back at rthk.hk, 18 minutes past nine. And finally today, uh, the Secretary for Home Affairs, Casper Choi, so at the weekend, officials are in talks with organisers to see if the uh, standard chartered marathon can go ahead this year and uh, how to uh, uh, run it uh, with the threat of uh, COVID-19. He said the authorities are concerned about how measures can be adopted so that the event can be held safely. Uh, for comment, we're joined now by uh, Peter Hopper. He's an amateur marathon runner from uh, Gone Running. Mr Hopper, good morning to you. Uh, Gone Running is a shop, is that right? Selling yes, it running is. We're, stuff? We're a, yes, we are. We're a running shop. We supply um, running gear for road and trail. And uh, we also have a very vibrant running club called the Gone Runners, which we, which we use to do a lot of training, particularly for the Hong Kong Marathon, actually, at the moment. That's what we're all hoping for. Are you involved in these talks with the government as to whether the race can go ahead? No, not, not personally, but... Uh, through the running club, we are quite closely connected to the Hong Kong 3As. And, of course, they are the ones that are leading the, uh, the discussions. Right. And they've been quite successful so far this year with managing to convince the government to put, or, or that they can put the right protocols in place to run athletic events. They've already held probably three or four relatively small-scale athletic events already this year. Right. Uh, so they are, they are quite experienced in doing it. What about numbers? I mean, how many have been allowed in the past to take part in the marathon? And what sort of number, what sort of messages are we getting about how many might be allowed this year? Well, traditionally, it was the whole marathon includes the, 
marathon itself, the half marathon and the 10K. And in, yep. in total, that typically is 70,000 people. It's an enormous event here in Hong Kong. We're hearing that the numbers this year could be limited to about 18,500 and spread across the three events. So they'll obviously be a lot smaller than they have. The events will be a lot smaller than they have been in the past. Right. What about overseas participation? Yeah, that's going to be very difficult, isn't it? I think um, uh, traditionally this this is actually a very popular event for Hong Kong. And the biggest event is, of course, the 10K. You get lots of people. And they are, of course, predominantly from Hong Kong. There's usually quite a large elite contingent that's invited to, say, the marathon and the half marathon. That, I think, will be very difficult to um, to do. But I think the community here, I mean, I, you know, I talk to loads of people in the running community. We, we'd just be extremely happy to have the race up and running, you know, even, even if it didn't have that. Um, so the elite front end right. that they uh, would normally have. Because in the past, people have been invited by yeah. name from Kenya, Ethiopia, and so on, of and course. there's prize money put up by Standard Chartered. Indeed, and yeah, I, I think it, it probably depends very much on the country from which they come. Obviously, we saw with the uh, the, the Tokyo Olympics that it is possible to define protocols to get people to move from different countries into a place like Tokyo and still run the events safely. I think that will be very complex, but uh, not not impossible. But I, I don't know. I the main focus is, is actually on getting the event running for, for, for the people in Hong Kong. I think so. I mean, telling the guy in Kenya, you've got to come to a hotel and stay for three weeks <laughs> during your last training period, that's, <laughs> that's not going to go down very well. Not really. That's that's a pretty harsh kind of taper for the race. <laughs> if, if you, as you say, there's the marathon, the half marathon, and the, and the 10k. Uh, if something's got to go, that would be the 10k, then would it? If... Uh, I, don't, I don't think they'll do it that way. I, it, the 10k is actually the most popular. The, uh-huh. Of course, the title of the the event is the the, the standard chartered marathon. So. I guess the marathon is still very important. I think they'll just scale down the events so that each one is a little bit short, a little bit smaller. It will actually make it easier for, for instance, the start line protocols, the finish protocols, where so far there's been a lot of effort to try, for instance, and keep people masked up at the start and, make, and get people to wear the mask at the finish. Uh, for the Not during the race, I hope. No, not during the race. Um, but, for instance, things like the water stops, where there's a lot of interaction. Right. You saw, you saw during the Tokyo Olympics, they were using bottles rather than cups. So there will be changes, and I think smaller numbers will make it easier to be able to implement those, those changes. But there have to be an element of marathon, an element of half marathon, yes. and an element of, of 10K. Yeah, typically the 10K runs on a different course to the marathon and half marathon. So that will also separate people out a little bit. Uh, so I, I, I think with goodwill and hopefully not a massive outbreak of cases, then you know there are plenty of ex- people with experience in the Hong Kong 3As and in the community that have now successfully defined protocols which can keep the runners safe, the organisers safe, the volunteers safe, and and still have a good event. So, we, we, you know, we're positive and hopeful that something will happen.
Yeah, I mean, w- what have they done in other places? Have there been marathons in other cities? Um, I'm not. Yes, I mean, typically we've seen marathons run in Europe, for instance. Uh, they have tended to be pretty local events. So far, things like London has been virtual, and it will be virtual this year. And we know a lot of people who are training here to run London virtually here in Hong Kong. And, how do you uh, do that? How do you run Sorry, vo- how do you virtually? Do a virtual yeah. marathon. Explain yeah, that. Yeah, well. Well, so what happens is the organisers will put out, uh, you, you can actually enter it, and you, you you pick a course where you can run the distance, record it through a GPS watch onto something like Strava, and then upload the results, and they count those results for your 42.2K as having completed the marathon, and then you get the certificate and the medal. And, you know, we have quite a number of people in our club who have done many of these virtual marathons in the last year just to keep themselves focused on having something to do. The Olympics did manage to bring in, of course, athletes from all over the world. Indeed. Is there a way that we could bring in a handful of the top marathon runners without subjecting them to to a massive quarantine? Yeah, well, I think we've seen some of the protocols already for for quarantine changing, for instance, an antibody test, uh, having multiple tests before you leave the country, having tests when you arrive here. I think if there is some openness to sort of accept results from other countries, then, and and for a very select group of people, then I can't see it being necessary to have more, that's just my opinion, I'm not, not medically trained, but you know, it might be possible to get to a situation where they're going to, they only would need to have seven days of quarantine here, and that that would make it possible, I think. Uh, what about? I mean, the the danger presumably is, is having a large number of people uh, in close proximity yes. at, at one time. Can you sort of stagger it? Um, well, so what, what's happened? Yeah, what's happened in other places is, for instance, they've had multiple start points yeah. for the race, okay. which we could do here too. Uh, people are expected to mask up at the start and and keep reasonably well spread out so again smaller numbers help that so that you can actually you know have multiple starts and then at the finish if it finishes in victoria park for instance you can make sure that people disperse quickly get their bag don't hang around go straight home that's typically what's happened with the hong kong three years events for the athletic meetings once the athletes have finished they're, they're not expected to hang around and wait for results they just leave and, and that keeps the numbers relatively small. And we're talking about this happening possibly in October. October, yeah, the, the, in October. That's pretty soon, isn't it? To me, yeah, sort of... and, and I think I was reading in the South China Morning Post that, of course, one of the challenges for the organisers is there's an awful lot of organisation yeah. to, to put something on like this. And getting some decisions would be very helpful in making sure they get everything in place. It sounds to me as though it's got to be this week, really. There's well, that's time. Tough. I mean, that's, you know, I think we've all been following the story as closely as possible. So hopefully we'll get some positive news this week. Fingers crossed. Right, because I, I, I did the 10K in three times and I did the half marathon three times. Did you? Fantastic. Yeah, but I've ne- yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> One thing... <laughs> <laughs> one yeah, uh, one thing that always struck me is we don't close the roads for long enough. 
to enable ordinary people to run a full marathon. Okay. Right. You mean you mean on the event, the day of the event? Yes. Did you find that there was some conflict? I know. I know. Quite a few years ago, we, we, I was actually quite involved with separating the 10k from the rest right. of the marathon, and it got extremely busy. And I remember running up a road over the flyover in Central, and there were cars and buses actually still running on the road. It was a little bit strange, but. The, well, the, ten, the 10K basically moved to the Island Eastern Corridor, didn't it? That's correct. But the full and the half, we started from Chimsa Choi and then True. went through the Western Harbour Crossing and ended up yes. in Victoria Park. Now, exactly. I got my time for the half marathon down to about two and a half hours, but right. I, I knew five hours was not going to be enough for a full marathon. I, I needed yeah. more. The, the typically half cut-off times. Yes. Uh, there's a bus and following the, the runners. Yeah, normally the roads are kept empty for the time until the cut-off time. And yes. there's usually what's known as the bus of shame to, to yes. sort of collect people at <laughs> the, the end. The ignominy of being asked to get on the bus, <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid, deterred me from applying for the full marathon. Come <laughs> uh, and join our running club and we'll get you fast enough to avoid the bus of shame. Okay, <laughs> thanks very much. <laughs> okay, Peter Hopper, many, many thanks for joining us. Uh, Andrew in an email says, uh, Dear Backchat, few people in Hong Kong at large believe there have been any scientific basis on COVID gathering laws declaring four people needs to be in place, especially in recent months of almost no cases here and large numbers allowed in all and kind, other kinds of venues, plus the ongoing official blind eye turn to pack numbers in public transport. It smacks as politically inspired science to prohibit anything that Beijing may dislike, such as demonstration, process or election results last year. Yeah, surely that's from uh, Andrew. Uh, Peter Hopper, thanks very much indeed. Amateur marathon runner from uh, Gone Running. Uh, Mike, thank you very much indeed. Oh, you didn't know I'd done the half marathon. I didn't know did that, you? no, twice. Did three years in a row. You should try the virtual one. <laughs> I do that on one a now bike. every day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the weather forecast, sunny intervals and a few showers. Isolated thunderstorms at first, and there's a thunderstorm warning now in effect until at least uh, noon. Uh, the outlook, very hot with sunny periods forecast for the next few days. 28 Celsius now. Relative humidity is at 86%. With consumption vouchers, shopping feels great. Whether it's for retail, catering, or services, you can use them at both physical and online stores of local merchants. For Octopus, just tap the card as usual. And for Alipay HK, Tap and & Go, and WeChat Pay HK, use the vouchers in the mobile app. Remember to check the expiry date. For details, visit consumptionvoucher.gov.hk. Spending together, boosting the economy. And 31, the news now with Todd Harding. The Taliban's lightning week-long offensive across Afghanistan has culminated in their seizure of the capital, Kabul, 20 years after they last held power. They took Kabul after President Ashraf Ghani fled to Uzbekistan. The Civil Human Rights Front's former convener, Johnson Young, says civil society organisations are facing arbitrary arrests as the government tries to eliminate opposition. He said it might be hard to organise large protests in the near future. And a demographics expert says Hong Kong is seeing a watershed in its population development after official figures showed the SAR's population had fallen by 87,000 people over the past year, or about 1.2%. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Thanks, Todd.
good Monday morning to you. Uh, James Ross in for Phil for the next couple of weeks on the Morning Brew.